Good morning. Good afternoon. Well rebuked. <laughs> I have the privilege to get to preach to you this morning on assurance, an important topic. Surety, the state of being sure or certain of something. Secure, a feeling of stability, safety, and freedom from anxiety or fear. Confidence, the feeling or belief that one can rely on someone or something. Faith, complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Trust, firm belief in the reliability, truth, ability, or strength of someone or something. Assurance, certainty about something. All of these touch on something that we are all seeking. We are seeking comfort, security, that sense of a great hope and of a great promise. That sense of comfort and peace that comes from knowing that your needs and your desires are fulfilled. We all long to be confident and sure about the important matters of life. Whether it's food and shelter, our relationships with other people, or the security of our jobs and the well-being of our loved ones. But assurance of all these things, without assurance about the life to come, without assurance of your future standing in heaven, and about assurance of what will happen to you after death, is worthless. What shall it profit a man should he be sure of the whole world and yet not be sure of his soul? How can we know? Where can we find this assurance? These are important questions. Thankfully, God, our loving Father and Creator, has not left us helpless in the fight for answers. Please turn with me to John chapter 20. God has not left us empty-handed in the search for assurance. And the passage we will read today is the tip of the spear of the arsenal that God has given us in our fight for assurance. That is, that this verse that we will be studying is the sharp point that penetrates our heart and makes way for all the other truths, the force, the power of the rest of Scripture that God has written to us, that we may be sure of where we will go after we die, that we may be sure of our standing in heaven. Please follow with me as I read and pray along with me as I ask that God would work through his word. John chapter 20, verse 31. But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in his name, believing you may have life in his name. 
Holy Spirit, you have written these things through lowly men for a mighty purpose. Speak through a lowly man today to reveal to us Jesus, who is the Christ, who is God himself, and soften our hearts so that we may believe more deeply or even yet for the first time that he is who he says he is and that all that is required to have life in his name is to believe on him. Thank you, O blessed Father, who has declared that these things would be written to us and all of these blessings for us and who delights in answering the prayers of those who abide in his Son. Amen. To understand this passage and to understand what it has to do with our fight for assurance, we have to consider two things about assurance first. The first thing being that the more definite a promise is, the more of a sense of security we feel from that promise. This makes clear logical sense. Who would feel more secure? The wife whose husband always comes home or almost always comes home happy to see her, whether it's been a good day or a bad day, or the wife whose husband, whose husband's mood fluctuates day by day with the quality of work and with the traffic on the way home. Actually, it's a trick question. It's the wife who is more satisfied in Christ, who has the deeper assurance. But you see the point. Assurance has to do with how certain we can be about the promises of the future. The more certain, the more secure. Secondly, we have to realize that assurance matters more when the promise that we are being assured of is greater It's nice to have confidence that a friend isn't going to cancel plans or or change things at the last minute, but how much more of a difference does it make to know that you have a friend, a brother or a sister in Christ that you can go to when you are at your lowest point? The depth of the promise, the greatness of the promise, affects how much that assurance matters. It is nice to have confidence about something, but to have confidence about matters of great importance is far more valuable. So we will use this framework, these two ideas, to work through this passage and understand how it would lead us to a deeper, a greater assurance. First, we will look at how sure the promise in this passage is, Then we will look at how great the promise in this passage is. And then we will finish out by looking at who these things are written to. So point number one, how sure is this promise? For you note takers, that's an exclamation point, not a question mark. How sure is this promise? How definite are the things that are promised in this passage? Is it just like the lottery, where we have a a great promise of great value, but little chance that it will actually come to pass? I want something that I can bank on, 
something that I can rely on. I don't know about you, but I am comforted not at all by promises that aren't trustworthy. You probably have known people who say things and say things, but you cannot rely on them. And their sayings mean nothing to you for comfort and security. Have you ever seen those advertisements where some guy is sitting in a fancy supercar and talking about how you can quit your job and start making $60,000 every month in this simple, easy way? Or these weird commercials I've been seeing everywhere about this trick with a glass of ice before bed that helps you lose weight. You know, scientists don't want you to know. (laughs) Well, God does want you to know. He wants you to know his promises and to know that they are airtight He wants you to know that there is no breaking them, no overturning them, no failure to be found in all of his promises. Like an ark in the midst of the flood that lets in no water, this is what God wants for us. And this is how we grow in assurance, is by coming to understand this truth about God. Let's see how this works itself out in the text. These things are written so that, in order that, that through them you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So how do we become assured? How do we get this confidence? It is by reading these things, by reading and studying in this book. I know that for some of us, it will seem like a cheap answer. Well, of course, that's how we grow in assurance. It's through the Bible. Or it will seem like a a tedious answer, like a contract that you have to study through the lines and lines of fine print to make sure you've understood every clause and there's nothing that's going to swindle you at the end. But this isn't what makes the Bible complicated to understand. It's not some stodgy document that is written in a seemingly obtuse way. The reason that this, that studying the Bible, is the way for assurance is that the God who makes these promises to us is revealed in this book. The surety of promises relies on the one who is making them. Many people have good desires for us, but lack the power to bring it out. And other people have the power to bring about good things, but lack desire to bring them for us. But in Scripture, we find revealed a God who is both powerful and willing to make great promises to us so we can have great surety. The Bible may seem complex and hard to understand at times, but it is not like this contract or like the terms and conditions that we all disregard. It is rather like the complexity of getting to know another person. 
and where getting to know another person is complicated in and of itself, imagine a being who is infinite, who is far above all the created order. Obviously, the striving to know him would take a lifetime, but it is done through this book. We can't know him completely, but we can know him who makes these promises to us. And we can know him more and more. So here are three different ways that the Bible is written to us to build up our assurance about its truthfulness. And through that assurance, to build our confidence and our security in its promises made to us. The first way that the Bible does this is by revealing the character of God. The Bible reveals to us that this book, this entire scripture, is God-breathed, written by God through man for us. And it reveals that the God who wrote this keeps his word. He is ever faithful to his promises, and he is of such loving and holy character that these are the exact types of promises he would make. When you come to understand who God is through the Bible, and then you understand the gospel, it makes perfect sense that this is the way that God would save and that he would choose to do so. I love the way that Hebrews 6 captures this. Starting in verse 13 and continuing through to verse 20, it says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable nature of his character, he guaranteed it by an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. It speaks for itself. The promises of God are sure. The second way that the Bible gives us to be confident in its truth is through its accuracy in depicting the world and people. We don't have time to work through all of the arguments, but if you pay attention to this as you're reading and as you're thinking about life, it will help to grow your assurance. If the Bible is the word of God, then when God speaks about the way the world is and the way we are, we should be able to recognize the accuracy of it. 
So when the Bible tells me that all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and I go out in the world and I see the sinful fallen wretchedness of man, and when I look in my own heart and see it, I say, that's true. When I go out in the world and the Bible says that all men are created in the image of God, and I see the inherent dignity that is in every person I come across, that they are separate from the beasts of the world, set apart and worthy of greater respect, it is true and clear that we are created in his image. And that's just to name a few ways that the Bible accurately describes the world. Furthermore, the Bible commends its truthfulness to us through the the divine nature of the way it's written. This book is written like no other. Look at the prophecies that were written hundreds of years before their fulfillment. Look at the types and shadows that create a masterpiece. I've read many books, many pieces of literature, and, and none of them are so deeply interwoven and intermeshed as Scripture is. And by so many different authors writing over hundreds and hundreds of years. And as you, as you read the word, feel the impact of it on your heart. Obviously, this is not the work of man, but is the work of the divine. As it cuts us deeply. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This word is powerful, and as you read it, you will see that power, and it will confirm to you the promises that are found inside. This book could only be written by God. These promises written in this book are definite and unchanging. And by studying the Bible, you will grow in your assurance of that. They do not rest on you and your goodness, but on the goodness of the God who has written this book. These things are written. They are sure. So we can be sure that the promises will come to pass, that they are truthful, that they are reliable, But the next question is, how great is the promise? It's good to know that a promise is sealed in stone. But the promise of a candy bar, if it's sealed in stone, doesn't matter much to me. It doesn't do much by way of providing me with a sense of security. So there are are two parts of this promise And as we look at them, I hope that we will be struck with the greatness of this promise that we can be sure of. The first part of the promise uh, I found easy to miss as I was studying through. But when it clicked, I was amazed by it. The first part of the promise that God makes to us is that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus is the Christ. Christ 
a word which in the Bible means anointed one or savior. Christ is a Greek translation of the Old Testament word meaning Messiah. This speaks of Jesus' status as the God appointed in greatest fulfillment of three offices, the offices of prophet, priest, and king. And this also speaks to Jesus' connection to the Holy Spirit. Those who would serve as a priest or a king in the Old Testament had to be anointed with oil before they could begin service. This special mixture was poured over them to inaugurate them into office. This is an anointing into an office. And while prophets weren't commonly anointed with oil, they were anointed with something much greater. The Spirit of God would come to rest on them and anoint them before they would go and fulfill their office. This gives us insight into what it means to be anointed. God has given anointment as a picture of the, of the Holy Spirit guiding people in the offices and roles that God would put them in. So all of the roles that God has given to bless his people, prophet, priest, and king, are to be done properly by one who is anointed, one who is filled with the Spirit of God. So when we read that Jesus is the Christ, we should understand that Jesus is filled with the Spirit of God to fulfill these offices of blessing for us. Here are a few verses that, that capture so wonderfully the, the bond between Jesus in his ministry and the Spirit Luke 1, 15 through 17, For he will be great before the Lord and must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. We see further in the baptism of Jesus that the Spirit of the Holy Spirit of God comes down and rests on Christ like a dove. And before Jesus was tempted by the devil, Luke describes him this way. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Or how Jesus is described in Acts 10, 38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good in healing all who were oppressed by the devil, and God was with him. See how goodness and power are connected to Jesus' ministry and Jesus' anointing with the Spirit. And be assured, knowing that the scripture promises that, the, that Jesus, who is our Savior, was anointed with the fullness of the Spirit that he could serve us. And so by the Spirit, he fulfills three appointed and anointed offices. 
the first office being prophet. He is a prophet that is one who reveals God to man and reveals God's will for man. John 14.9 says, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. That is Jesus being a prophet, revealing to people who God is. John 17, 24 and 25, Jesus prays, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. He reveals God to us as the Christ. He is the anointed prophet so that we may know who God is. And it is a deep blessing to get to know our creator. It is the best, most important relationship we can have. And so we can be encouraged as we realize through the word that Jesus is revealing our creator to us. The second office he fulfills is the office of an, an anointed, a godly king, one who rules God's people and guides them in what is right and protects them from evil. John eighteen thirty six, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. For a kingdom, there must be a king, and Jesus is that king. And through the Old Testament, we come to understand that the role of a king that God has anointed is to shepherd his people. And so we read more in John about Jesus as the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I know my own and they know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish so that no one will snatch them out of my hand. See his guarding and protecting love as he guides us and as he lays down his life filled with the Spirit for us. Be assured that Jesus is your King and that he has laid down his life to defend you from all evil and all harm. In Romans it says, He who did not spare his Son but gave him up for us, how will he not graciously with him Give us all good things. This is the, the promise of the Christ, the anointed king who God has given us. Furthermore, he is a priest, a high priest, that is one who makes atonement before God for his people. One who cleanses them from their sin so that they may be brought near to God and so that their prayers may be heard. Hebrews 9 does a wonderful job of capturing Jesus as the high priest, saying <clears throat> he has appeared once for all 
at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus lays down his life to atone for our sins. He goes before the Father on our behalf by his blood. In the same way that the blood of sheep and goats, that their life was given to show the, the ability to draw near to God, Jesus' life is truly given so that we who are sinful may draw near to the throne. Hebrews 4 reads, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we, we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. See the mercies of the high priest and how it leads to confidence and assurance as we know we may boldly go before the throne of God and receive every good thing by our priest who advocates for us. What a great promise that Jesus is the Christ, the one anointed with the Spirit of God to go with power and goodness before us and to work for our sake. We should be comforted and assured when we come to know and believe that this is Jesus. But more than that, Jesus is the Son of God. This is that he is God himself, that he is the one promised in the Old Testament, Emmanuel, God with us. He himself is God in the flesh, and in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the goodness that Jesus brings is not just the expression of a kind man, but is the full revelation of the loving kindness of God, his steadfast love. John 10.30 says, I and my Father are one. John 1 verses 1 through 3 depicts beautifully Jesus' status as God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is Jesus. He is God in the flesh come to dwell among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. What a great promise that Jesus is in our midst. So we have been assured that the goodness and fullness of God are in this man, Jesus Christ. We have been assured and promised that Jesus is anointed to bring about by the Spirit great blessings for his people as he fulfills his threefold office. But the wonderfulness, the greatness of this promise does not just stop with who Jesus is, 
but it goes on to what Jesus brings to us. This is the second part of the promise that we find in the passage. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. What a great promise that by believing in Jesus, we may have life in his name. This is that by the simple act of believing, not by a great act of sacrifice where I, I give everything I have to the poor or a, a great work of discipline where I overcome the major sins in my life, not by loving other people greatly, but first and foremost, by believing you may have life in his name. This is the promise of great things at a low cost, at a free cost. Believing isn't a matter of our virtue or goodness. And this is not the hopeless promise of if you do good enough, God will bless you. It is far from it. It is the letting go of our fruitless attempts to be good enough and, the, and moving to rely on Christ. That's what this, this word believing captures, is a reliance on who Jesus is and that he is who he says he is. I love the way the hymn puts it. O oh, perfect redemption, the purchase of blood, to every believer the promise of God, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. This is the free gift of God in Jesus Christ, eternal life. Do you want to live? Do you want life? And not just in some bare minimum way, like I'm alive, you know, like you go into work and someone asks you how you're doing and I'm alive, I guess, you know. No, this is so much more than that. This is the fullness of life. Life in itself, the fountainhead of all goodness and well-being is promised through this verse. That by believing, you may have life in his name. Be assured that you may have this great promise of life by believing in Christ. But I also want to warn you that there's no other way to live. This is the only assurance, the only true assurance. If you put your hope in anything else, you will be put to shame. Like someone who falls back for a trust fall and is let to drop. That will be you if you are not trusting in this promise. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered up, thrown into the fire, and burned. There is no other way to life but resting in this promise. 
Now we get to the, the final aspect of this uh, verse that I, I haven't really focused on so far. This is that these things are written for you. They are written for you. You who are sitting here, you Tom and you Wally and you Cheryl, you Meredith and you Mickey, you Dave, all of you, me, these things are written for you. We should take a moment to understand and think about just how amazing that is. That God has written these great promises for us. That it's not a, a take it or leave it. I've declared my truth and you can either come to me or be my enemy. But it is that I am, am messaging out to you, writing to you, that you may believe. If you are hearing my voice right now, this Bible has been written for you so that, so that you may believe, that you may believe in Christ and his promises and have the greatest security and assurance of the greatest pro promises that ever have been and ever will be. This, this is written for you who are sitting here who do not believe in Christ. And I'm glad that you've come here today if you do not believe. Because these words were written for you to hear. You do not have to continue in your sin and death without true life. Because these words have been written so that you may believe. Believe. He is speaking to you. This is also written for you, brother and sister, who believe, and yet you doubt your salvation. You who believe, and yet are still insecure in your standing before God, or your sense of your standing before God. These things are written to you so that you may be comforted, so that you may believe how great these promises are. It is not about how great your faith is or about how many times you have sinned. It is not about your weak and failing heart. It is not because you are great or because you are definite and reliable, but because he is. It is about him. He is great. His promises are sure. This is the way that you will come to assurance, is by knowing him and the promises he has made. These things are written to you that you may know and believe that he is the Christ. 1 John 3 says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, 
God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Be assured, God is greater than your heart. He is not dependent on the strength of your faith, but that he has chosen you. Furthermore, this is written for you, brother or sister, who have believed these promises and are content and confident in your salvation. These are written to you so that you may believe and grow ever more confident and that by that confidence you may be equipped to run the race with endurance. There are trials and troubles on it on their way and you need to dig deep into this assurance so that when everything else has fallen and failed you still have the energy to run on and persist paul says in philippians i press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of god in christ jesus And then in Ephesians, he says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love, that's, that's us digging into this assurance, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What a great assurance of great promises is in this passage that these things are written to us so that we may know and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, we may have strength. Here are five takeaways that you can use to think about this as you go throughout your day and your week, and I encourage you to find opportunities to talk with each other about them. These five points of application have been brought to you by the letter R, The first one, read your Bible every day. These things in the Bible have been written for your belief. Be in it every day. Meditate on it. Love it. Live it. Second R, rely on Christ. The key is faith, belief, trusting in Christ is not about you, but about him and holding on to him. When you sin, rely on him. When difficulty comes, rely on him. When life is going well, rely on him. For when everything else fails, he will remain. Third R, rejoice. We have great promise and great security. Like the comfort of our home are, is the promises of God to us. 
like the peace of being sheltered in the storm is our rock, our God. Psalm 90 verse 1 says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. How sweet is our home, our security, our God. Rejoice. Fourth R, run. Run the race with endurance. Stare down every trial, knowing that they can do nothing against you, for you are running for an imperishable and unfading hope. Paul says this light, momentary affliction is not worthy of being compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This is a sure promise, so run with endurance. The finish line is wonderful. And the final R, relax. Do not fight as if you are in dire straits, wrestling to, by some means, manage to be good with God. You have life in his name. And you have life eternal if you have believed. Rest assured. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for how great your promises are. And that you extend from everlasting to everlasting. Comfort our hearts. Save people to your name. And strengthen us to run for your glory. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. Would you stand with us for our closing song, He Will Hold Me Fast?